Let's all stand together. Oh, wow. Did you have a great day today? Is anybody just a little bit worn out tonight? Come on. Anybody here? Okay. Now, I'm a football coach, and so we do something sometimes at the beginning of our practice we call quick cows, okay? Now, so we're all going to do this. Men, women, young, not quite as young. We're going to do some quick cows. Y'all ready? Now, all I want you to do is just follow me, all right? very first thing you have to do is get in a balanced stance. Now, if you're as old as I am, that's a, that's a challenge every morning. <laughs> get in a balanced stance. Ready, everybody? That's just your feet are going to be about the width of your shoulders, all right? Here you go. Now we're going to just, just slightly bend the knees, just slightly bend the knees, and then you're just going to lean forward just a little bit and give me your eyes right here, okay? Now, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to just... Go through a series of just quick movements, and I want you to follow me, all right? First of all, you're going to take your hands and put them right at your temples. You ready? Now, I'm going to start, and then you will come and follow me the second time around. First, it's just going to be me, and then it's going to be you, okay? Here we go. We'll do this. It'll go like this. Ho! 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 Okay, you got it. You ready? Okay, everybody together now. But hey, it's got to be louder. It's got to be a lot louder. All right, you've got to let the enemy know that you're coming. Okay? They're down at the other end of the field. You've got to send a message to them. Okay, here we go. Everybody. Balance stance. Balance stance, everybody. Okay. Just all blend over slightly. Everybody comfortable. Here we go. Now I want you to turn to the person. Why are you sitting down? Are you tired? Oh, my goodness. What is this? Come on. This is Viking territory. Come on. What's the deal? All right. Turn to the person beside you. Big high five. Come on. Big high five. The person on the other side. Big high five. Now you can be seated. I am just overwhelmed with the kindness and the hospitality of this place. I was saying to Deonza earlier, I said, there's just been no place that I have enjoyed more through the years than just having the opportunity to come here to be with these great men and women of God and to be with you. You uh, have provided quite the atmosphere and that's why thousands of people continue to come here to this property every single year and are transformed by the touch of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine just how many lives have been transformed at this altar? Can you even imagine how many have been called into the ministry, missions at this altar? How many have received 
a fresh lease on life when they thought they were ready to give up right here at this altar. It's just pretty overwhelming to realize the impact that this place has had through the years. I want to speak to you on the subject tonight of who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? I'm surprised I didn't get a... Okay. I didn't know if that had like gotten up here or not, you know. Way up here. Okay. You know, when we talk about the heroes of the Bible, there's one man's name that will always be at the top of the list. Caleb is one of the true heroes of the Old Testament. Caleb's name actually means dog. It's always been the same among friends and comrades. Nicknames happen. I know that Bear Bryant, the famous coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide had one player that was his favorite of all time. His name was Leroy Jordan. Leroy played for the Dallas Cowboys and was an outstanding NFL player, but he was a legend at University of Alabama. And Bear Bryant, as he began to be a little senile in his later years of coaching, would often get into a tight situation during a ball game, and he would begin to cry for Leroy. Leroy, get Leroy down here. And they said, Coach Bryant, Leroy has been graduated for 25 years. He's no longer here. But Leroy, as described by his teammates, was a dog. Now, before you think that that's an insult in football, that is the highest honor you can give a player. In fact, you'll often say, I'm telling you what, coach, he's got a lot of dog in him. That means that that guy is a guy that is going to give you everything he's got every single moment that he is on that field. Nicknames almost always have to do with the unique feature of an individual's character, gifting, or even appearance. I love this guy, Caleb the dog. And the first thing I love about him is that Caleb excelled with his own tribe. If you're taking notes, write this down. Caleb excelled with his own tribe. Numbers 13, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Verse 6 says, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the dog. There were 74,000 
fighting men in the tribe of Judah according to the census in the first chapter of Numbers. Judah had 10,000 more warriors than any other tribe and Caleb had been chosen out of 74,000 warriors as the lone representative of his tribe. That was the kind of rugged, gutsy, determined champion that Caleb was. Out of 74,600 men, only one would be chosen. And his tribe chose him because they lived with him. They watched him. They knew him. They respected him. He excelled with his own tribe. Brothers and sisters, I know that all of us want to do great things for God. I know that all of us want to be successful in life. We want to climb that ladder, whatever ladder that we value of success and accomplishment. But please hear me tonight. The first tribe that we need to excel with is the tribe that bears our name. You know, the single greatest thing we can ever do for the kingdom of God is to raise great children who fear and serve the living God. Y'all say amen up here in Minnesota? Men, hear me. You need to excel with your own tribe. I know you're knocking it down out there in the corporate world. But you need to excel with your own tribe. Pastor, I know you're growing that church at a record rate. But you need to excel with your own tribe. You need to excel as a husband. You know, a man came to me recently and said, I'm just not fulfilled in my marriage. I said, that's not the goal. The goal is to be the very best husband you can be. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, it's important for all of us to understand that it doesn't matter how you feel about things if your feelings contradict the priority of the Scripture. And the priority of the Scripture is that we put our families even before our own breath. Some of you have lost your passion for excelling with your own tribe. There was a lady who finally just got so fed up with her husband, and her husband was a pastor. They had been in ministry together for years. And she said to her husband, we're going to the counselor. So they went to the counselor, and she began to pour out her heart. She said, he has no passion anymore at all. It's as if I'm a piece of furniture. It's as if he comes in and doesn't even notice me. We have no loving conversations. He never touches me. This marriage has gotten to a place where there is no life in it. And the counselor was very, very touched by her outpouring of grief. And so finally he decided that this man just couldn't get it. He counseled with him an hour. He still just 
couldn't get him. So he just jumped up out of his chair, ran over, and grabbed the pastor. And he said, now I want to show you this. Kissed his wife like she had never been kissed before. <laughs> Set her back down, said to the pastor, she needs that three times a week. Now do you get it? And he said, okay, I'll bring her money Wednesday and Friday. <laughs> it's very important, listen to me, that we excel with our own tribe. I can promise you, heaven doesn't applaud how many souls you win if you have a broken-hearted wife that can't get your attention. I can promise you that you're not a big thing on the streets of gold today if you are not there when your family is crying out in pain and in brokenness. We must excel with our own tribes. Dad, if you spend more time on your golf swing or getting ready for deer season than helping your 10-year-old learn to hit the curveball, you're not excelling with your own tribe. If you as parents spend two hours a night watching Fox News or CNN or the Hitler channel, I mean the History Channel, <laughs> but you don't have one long conversation a week with your teenager, you're not excelling with your own tribe. A well-known man of God who's famous around the world once said to me, Denny, those of us with great anointings aren't always the best husbands and fathers. I immediately responded. I couldn't help it. It was like this man threw grease on me. I turned to him and I said, that's a cop-out. You spell success with your family, T-I-M-E, and you alone choose how you prioritize it. You see, some of you want greater things from God. Some of you want greater gifting, greater anointing. Some of you want a church that explodes and, and begins to have an impact on a community. I want to say to you that you cannot leave the prioritized things undone. Those things that are important to God. That is that you excel with your own tribe. Now, I'm not talking about balance here. I was um, in a John Maxwell meeting a few years ago. About 50 pastors in a room. And I uh, remember a lady raising her hand, a pastor's wife, and asking this question. Can you talk to us about balance? And he turned to his associate and said, do I have anything on balance? I don't think I've ever done anything on balance. In fact, I, I don't believe in balance. And everybody in the room just got quiet. He said, life is not about balance. If you're going to be successful, if you're going to make things happen in life, if you're going to follow your calling, it will not be a balanced life. It will be a life of seasons. In one season, you're going to be very busy with this pursuit. And then in another season, you'll be busy with that pursuit. He said it's seasons, not balance. But I want to say that if 
You have one long season serving your own interest and your family never gets a turn, then you have lost your value system. We must prioritize our own tribe. We must excel with our own tribe. Caleb excelled with his own tribe, and so must we. Secondly, the dog had success because he did exactly what he was asked to do. Did exactly what he was asked to do. I loved that offering a minute ago. Didn't you? That was cool. I can't wait to try that when I get back home. I just don't know who I'm going to give the hundred to. Because I've got all these pranksters in my church. I may have to do the other lesson. See, I gave him the hundred. He didn't give it to me. And that's just like some of you. I don't know. I think it works both ways. Caleb not only excelled with his own tribe, Caleb, the dog, did exactly what he was asked to do. When Moses sent them to explore, verse 17, sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. The assignment was simple, ladies and gentlemen. It was simple reconnaissance. Go spy out the land, come back, give me a report. But 10 of the spies somehow misunderstood the assignment. They misunderstood the instructions. They felt they had been asked for their opinion about the vision. They thought they were called to vote on this. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. There is fruit, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Am Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the whole country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They began to oppose their leader's progressive agenda with no plan of their own except to take the nation to reversal and ruin. Does that sound familiar? But Caleb did exactly what he was asked to do. Exactly. You want a report, chief? I'll give you a report. Is it reconnaissance you're asking for? That's all I'm going to do. I am going to go and see and then come back and tell you what I saw. You know, for three and a half years, I was blessed to preach every month at Times Square Church in New York City for Pastor David Wilkerson. You say, wow, was that a wonderful thing? It was absolutely miserable. Preaching for David Wilkerson, let me just tell you, it wasn't the assignment you would want. Because if you weren't hitting the ball on that particular night, Pastor Dave was known just to get up out of his chair and come stop you. 
he would just walk across the platform, take the mic out of your hand, ask you to go sit down in the middle of your message, and then say to the folks, uh, let's just all seek the Lord now. We thank God for our brother, but he's not where we are right now. And I mean, it just, that's, that could happen. And it had happened on a lot of occasions. So every time I walked to the pulpit in those three and a half years, which was every month, I went in fear and trembling of Almighty God and Brother Dave. <laughs> One night I'm preaching. And I always had him in the corner of my eye. I always knew the man, where the man was every moment that I was on that platform. And so I caught him move over there. He got up. Oh, my goodness, he got up. And here he came, inching across the platform. Didn't move as well as he used to. Here he came. I just stopped. The place was jammed. I mean, it was standing room only at the Mark Hellinger Theater on that night. I just stopped. And then I just took both sides of the pulpit and watched him. He finally got to me. And he reached out and said, give me that mic, Denny. He said, it's cutting out. Use this one. <laughs> and I went... Everyone was laughing. I, I told the people, I said, well, I thought it was Judgment Day. I said, I'd already decided I was going to tell him I didn't like it very much either. You say, well, why would you subject yourself to that? Because I preached for him so that I could get to spend a few minutes with him. I prayed for two years that I could meet him for 15 minutes. And here God answered my prayer that every month I was able to be with this great mentor, this giant of God, this prophet of God. And we would walk in the city after the church services. And sometimes he was very quiet, but then he would say things that were pure gold to me that I still hold on to at this very moment. Now, one of the things you had to understand about David Wilkerson is that he conversed very much like he preached. David Wilkerson's conversation style was like a guy coming out of the bullpen throwing 97 that didn't need to warm up. His first pitch was 97. That's the way conversations often started. Never forget walking with him in New York City one night, and, you know, we were just walking and kind of chatting, and then he just looked at me, and he goes, do you know what's wrong with you? <laughs> Not, I'd like to talk to you about something. <laughs> do you know what's wrong with you? Well, see, I, I've been coached hard by gruff old coaches my whole life, so this didn't bother me. In fact, I was familiar with this. I, I got good stuff from him when it would have hurt somebody else's feelings because you can coach me hard. Do you know what's wrong with you? Do you know what your problem is going to be? 
No, I don't, Brother Dave, but I hope you'll tell me. <laughs> Your problem is that when something is working for you, you're going to have a hard time unplugging it to do what God really told you to do. I never heard that before. But I can tell you that's exactly the battle that I fought my whole life. And that's the battle that all of us fight. You see, what we want to do is to do something great for God and often not do just what He told us to do. We get on this track of promotion. We get on this track of success. Bigger's always better. There seems to be a chronology of the way you move toward taking a city. In fact, we call consultants in because they're going to tell us what the next step is really going to be. And ladies and gentlemen, what happens so often is that we're like those ten spies. We get opinions about everything. We get directions in our own heart from our own egos about everything. And we don't do just what he told us to do. Some of you right now are in places of stress and turmoil that you should never be in. And the reason you are is because you're not doing exactly what you were told. You're trying to add to the instructions. You know, I've reflected on that prophecy many, many times since then. And it has guided me in my life so often. You know, I remember soon after Dion's and I were married, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go home and help your dad finish well. My dad had been a pastor in Shreveport, Louisiana since 1957. And uh, he was getting up in years, but he still had a lot of energy. I was an evangelist and had been for 15 years. I traveled with a large evangelistic team. I had three African-American singers that were with me that were my dearest friends. Dionza, of course, was a great vocalist and communicator. And we would go into cities all across America and, you know, we never asked for a dollar. The uh, conditions for our coming were very, very simple. We're going to come and we're going to minister every night. You give us whatever you want to give us as far as finances, but we want your choir because I had the best choir director in the world with me, and I wanted revival gospel music. I'll never forget being in Princeton, New Jersey, and that beautiful little choir was standing there on that first Sunday morning, 12 of them singing beautifully out of their choir books. And that night, we had our first revival choir practice. And there were about 20 that showed up. The last night, however, there were 74 people that came rocking down that ancient old church's middle aisle singing Highway to Heaven. We were having revival everywhere we went. We saw God as He would just tear communities up in a matter of a few days. I loved what I was doing. Dionza loved it. 
The team loved it, and it was going so very well. And God speaks to me, and He only gives me these instructions. Stop doing what you're doing. Go home and help your dad finish well. When I showed up, my dad was so excited. He said, son, I am so excited that you've come and you're hearing God because you're going to pastor this church one day. I said, dad, I'm not going to pastor this church one day. I said, I don't want to ever pastor. I said, dad, I, I've just come to help you finish well. I said, when you get done, I said, you'll go to the board and resign. I'll resign the same day. I'm going to go back to doing what I love. But I can remember how God began to deal with us and how He began to move in our lives. How He began to bless our children. How that it seemed everywhere we went in that city that He was touching people's lives and He, he was changing people's hearts. And we were watching our school explode. And we were watching our rehab ministry as it began to minister to hundreds of men. And we were watching as, as God began to use us to speak to the city. And we began to be Shreveport's community church. I suddenly realized that God had called me to be an evangelist just to one city. My friends didn't understand it. They didn't get it. There were those that even became angry at me. They said, you were everywhere and then you were nowhere. What are you doing? Why are you quitting? I said, I wasn't quitting. I said, God, call me to help my dad finish well. They didn't get it. They still didn't understand. But it didn't matter. Because I understood that that was exactly what I had been called to do. You know, that some of you are under such pressure right now in your business. You're, you're, in, you're, you're under such pressure in your church. You're, you're under pressure in, in relationship to people. Because you're trying to do the things you think you're supposed to do and you're not doing the thing that God told you to do. Do you not understand that the Word of God says, Come, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When God asks you to do something, there is a grace to do that. But there is no grace to do more or less. Just because you can do something or you're good at it doesn't mean it's what God told you to do. Pastor said this to me a few years ago. He said, you know, ministry is not about developing your potential. It's about doing what you're supposed to do. And we get it so mixed up. When my dad passed away, I will never forget that morning. I have never heard birds sing that loud in my life. When I pulled up to mom and dad's house, he had been an invalid for five years, bedridden, not able to function. And it was just a heartbreak to me. But that morning when he went to heaven, and I got out of my car knowing he was gone, tears flooding my cheeks, those birds singing, <laughs> just absolutely 
serenading him all the way to the throne of God. I mean, it was, it was a glorious, crisp spring morning. I walked in and there he was, my precious dad, my best friend. The guy that was, <laughs> was the marker for, the, for great dads of all time. I mean, this man, such anointing on his life. Somebody said, was your dad a great preacher? No, he wasn't. He wasn't a great preacher. In fact, he couldn't wait to get to the end of the message. Sometimes it was 15 minutes. <laughs> True. I know some of you know that I'm not blessed with that, but yeah, the apple did fall a long way from the tree on that one. But, but he would step behind a pulpit like this, and he would have stayed here about a half a second. And then he would have jumped off the front of this place and he would have begun to walk these aisles and lay hands on people and they would get delivered, set free, healed. Miracles would happen. When my dad walked in, the Holy Ghost was there in the person of Rodney Duran. Oh, what a committed, sold out soldier they put him on the gurney and the gentleman said do you want me to cover him do you want me to cover his face I said not yet I said if you don't mind can we just walk to the van because I just wanted to to just watch him and see him those last few steps and so I actually walked the head of the gurney and as I walked, I wept, and I prayed in the Holy Ghost, and I gave God glory. And then we got to the van, and I said, just give me a moment. And I just reached over and put my hands on him. I said, I love you, Dad, and I kissed him. And I looked up to heaven, and I said, sir, he finished very well. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for calling me home to make sure that he finished well. But the residual benefits of that time, listen to me, are the reason why we had the legacy and the anointing of God on our downline, our children that we have today. I am convinced it would have never happened if I had not done just exactly what he told me to do. And listen to me. I can promise you that the things that God has asked you to do are never going to be grievous to you. They're not going to be too difficult to accomplish. So don't make them difficult. Get off of the success treadmill. Stop measuring yourselves to people to the right and the left. Just get your ear to heaven. Stay in the book. Stay on your knees and hear what God wants you to do. And be happy and be content doing only that. If you live in the Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, shadow of other people's lives, churches, ministries, and successes, you're going to miss the miracle right in front of you. 
And that's your own simple but glorious mission. The last thing I want to share with you is this. The dog was a man of a different spirit. He was a man of a different spirit. That's what the Bible says. You know, the dog's first trip to the promised land was a bitter, bitter disappointment. The scripture says this. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land. And boy, this is when the dog comes out in him. This next phrase. Because we will devour them. That's the dog. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And then when God weighed in, it became serious. Verse 21. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to give to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, somebody say different spirit, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. You know, I've asked myself, what did God mean when he said Caleb had a different spirit? Did he have a sweet spirit? That's something we talk about a lot. Did he have a pliable, humble spirit? That's always valuable. God said he'll never despise that. No, my friend. Not here. I don't believe that's what God is referring to at all. You see, God is talking about a man who emerged from a qualifying heat of 74,600 fighting men to be here. This is the dog. The dog doesn't dream about the grapes and figs of Canaan. He dreams about the giants. The dog doesn't dream about the blessings of Canaan. He dreams about the glorious battles ahead. The dog doesn't dream of rest and ease. He dreams of warfare and victory. The spirit of this man is intrinsically attached to his name. He is the dog because he possesses a dogged determination that says, I will not be denied. Understand what God said. The dog has a different spirit. Can you just hear God saying that? The dog has a different spirit. I love the dog. The dog has a different spirit. I mean, we're talking about the dog who trained for 40 years for the moment he would return to claim his mountain. He was a physical specimen. At 85, he had not lost a step. And he had the stamina he had at 45. What kind of spirit was it? 
I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the spirit of the warrior. Have we got a war cry in this place tonight? I don't think that'll get you there. I think that brother had it going. But I'm going to go one, two, three, and I want to see if we've got a war cry in this place. One, two, three. That's, that's pretty good. You know what that sounded like? That sounded like you thought somebody hit a home run and they got caught it at the fence. No, I'm talking about a war cry. I need some people in Minnesota to get some dog in them. I need you to get on your feet, and I need you to give a war cry. The very best one you've got. I need a visual aid for this message. I need you to give me something that I can hear that will be able to frame this word that God has given me. I'm almost finished, but I can tell you I've got to have this war cry. So at the count of three... I want some Minnesota Vikings to get on your feet, and I want to hear a war cry. One, two, three. It dies so quickly. Now, I know that some of you are out of breath, but i got to have a war cry i got to have a war cry that serves notice on the world, the flesh, and the devil that we are going to emerge from this mountaintop experience full of the Holy Ghost and fire and that our worlds are never going to be the same. I want you, on the count of three, to get on your feet. And as long, this is kind of a short staff, but I'm going to claim it. As long as I hold this staff, I want to hear your cry. Now, you can take a breath. It's good. It's allowed. You can go, ha, ah, ah. It's great. That, that'll work. But here we go. One, two, three. Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. 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 Remain standing, everybody, in this place. Remain standing, please. I'm almost done. I want to say that's one of the best moments I've had in months. I don't even know if I need a plane to go back to Shreveport after that. What kind of spirit was it? It was the spirit of a warrior. God had meticulously prepared his people to possess this land. He had strategically moved them to Egypt. Where for a time through Joseph's influence... They had an insider's view of the way a great kingdom is run. He then allowed them to work under the taskmasters of Egypt where they learned to manufacture building materials and could gain skills to develop infrastructure. They, however, never learned one thing. There was one thing that was left out because you don't give slaves swords and spears 
They never learned warfare. And when they first looked the challenge of Canaan in the eye, they folded. But those who cowardly slinked back into the wilderness were all gone now. They were done. They were dead. And as Caleb stood in front of these teenage warriors, God had given Joshua and Caleb, listen, all the influence there was. There were no dissenting voices. There was no plan B. There was no one trembling in fear. This was war. And these smooth-faced Israeli warriors were following a grizzled, battle-hardened old veteran as the shofar sounded, giving notice to the demonic gods that ruled in the heavenlies over the cities of Canaan. The army of Israel began to move forward. The difference this time was that their leader this time was the dog. And every soldier had his fire. The devil had strategically planted every demonic stronghold in Canaan to keep the forces of God from prevailing. But this time, I believe there was panic in the principalities and powers of the air as they see this new generation of warriors. They all have some dog in them. They have the dog's fire in their eyes. They're running to the battle just like the dog. They are hungry for victory just like the dog. They carry their shields and spears just like the dog. Even the battle cry is the battle cry of the dog. Come on. And I believe that as the shofar sounded and these fearless Teenage clones of Caleb followed the ark of the presence across the Jordan. The demonic gods of Jericho and of the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Amorites cried out in terror. Who let the dogs out? Now listen to me. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. This is a prophetic picture of the church, brothers and sisters. I said a lot to be able to say a little. I preached for maybe 40 minutes to be able to say something in just a few. God's will is that every believer becomes a warrior. You see, it is very, very important that we see this prophetic picture. Over the last 20 years, we've seen a pivot by the Spirit-filled Church of Jesus Christ in America. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? We as Holy Ghost-empowered believers have moved from signs and wonders to controlled predictable programs. 
We have moved from prophetic boldness to political correctness. We have moved from anointed preaching to Sunday morning TED Talks. We would rather have crowds filling our sanctuaries than sinners filling our altars. We label personality types gifts of the Spirit. And we make sure we don't mention the fact that giving our time, talent, and treasure is not a choice without consequence, but is a heavenly mandate that we will be judged by in eternity. And most of us cannot remember the last time we personally cast out a devil or freed a tormented captive from a spirit of infirmity by the laying on of hands. And over and over, we have watched as the demonic principalities and powers over our cities and communities have intimidated us into fitting in, backing down, forfeiting our God-given inheritance. Our churches have been splintered by political division, depleted by post-COVID complacency. We've been stripped of authority in the eyes of society. And we become like grasshoppers in our own eyes. But don't you dare give up or give in. It is not over until it's over. And it's not over yet. There is a young generation arising in America as we speak. They don't care about crowds or consumerism. They are no longer compromising. They are the generation of the Calebites. They got a lot of dog in them. And the only thing they want is a move of God that will transform society. Now, give the Lord a shout. May the devil and all of his minions cry out. Who let the dogs out? May we be an intimidating factor to the forces of hell. How can we turn it around, Pastor Denny? By you approaching your life and everything in it with the authority of the Holy Spirit by you understanding this isn't a game where we're trying to trick people into somehow coming alongside us and growing our movement, our churches, our ministries, but that we have real power and real authority. Here's what some of you don't even know. That when you walk into a room the energy changes because of the Holy Ghost in you. We have a, a store in our neighborhood in Shreveport 
And uh, that store was owned by a young Lebanese man whose uh, parents helped build the mosque in Dearborn. They're from Lebanon, still lived part of the year there. And this young man had kind of broken away from the family and the pack. And he's a businessman. He had a great little business going there in our neighborhood in that store. I walked in one day and uh, walked up to the counter and I said, hey, my name is Denny. And I said, what is your name? He said, I'm, I'm Hassan. He said, but you can call me Hoss. And I said, Hoss? He said, no, not Hoss, like Hoss Cartwright. Hoss. I said, all right, Hoss. Good to meet you. I said, Hoss, I'm a man of God. I said, sometimes when I pray, miracles happen. Anything you want me to pray for you about right now? He said, well, and he laughed. He liked it. He said, my business. It's all right. Come on. Take my hand. Father God, we pray for Haas's business. Bless this store. I came in just about a week later, and I just happened to come in on a day when the line was out the door. And so I came in and had all these people. It was just perfect. And I, I said, hey, say Haas. I said, look at this business. He said, yeah. Because Pastor Denny, he said, I know who you are now. Pastor Denny prayed for me in the name of Jesus. When I got to the counter, finally at the end of the long line, he came around the counter and he grabbed like two guys that were standing behind me in line and said, come on, we're going to pray. Pastor Denny's going to pray for all of us. We prayed. After the prayer, he walked over to me and he said, Would you talk to me about God? And the Holy Spirit checked me. Strangest thing. And I said, no, not now. I said, you're not ready to talk to me about God yet. But one day. And I walked out. Well, he was just perplexed. He just, he just, he was exasperated. What? You're a pastor? You're going to talk to me about God? That same scenario took place every time I was with him for the next two months. I was restrained by the hand of God. And I had prayed for him in hopes that I could talk to him about Jesus. On Easter Sunday that year, I gave an invitation and um, I walked to the front of the platform and I looked down to my left, and there he stood. He had come on Easter and had given his life to Jesus. He was transformed by the power of God. Then I will never forget the day that I'm baptizing folks. And all of a sudden, he breaks in line in his street clothes and gets into the tank, smiling from ear to ear, and this is what I said. Are you sure? Because you see, he could walk the aisle. He could pray the prayer. He, he could say he believed. And everybody in his world was pretty much all right with that. 
They could add a little Jesus to Muhammad. But when he got baptized, this was going to be a break with everything he knew as a lifestyle. The local imam said this to his wife. The moment his head hit the water, you were a free woman. He was a great businessman. He had a lot of money in reserve. But the next week, his wife, who was also on the account, took all of his money and his three boys and moved back to Dearborn and left him to face bankruptcy. He was even homeless. Wouldn't tell me that he didn't have a place to sleep because he said, I wanted to sleep in the yard because I'm reading about these apostles and their hardships, and I wanted to do some of that myself. Got on the plane and flew to Lakeland, Florida last year. Special occasion. Haas was graduating with his degree in Bible. <laughs> from Southeastern University. I stood there looking into his eyes, and this is honestly what I thought. He's got a lot of dog in him. Because no demon, no principality, no trial, no hardship, no loss could back him down. He found the real thing. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say this to the Minnesota district. I want to say this to all of you that pastor churches and all of you that attend churches. All of us have benefited from the cultural transformation of the church of Jesus Christ that has taken place in the last 20 years. I'm going to tell you, I'm like all about the arts. I, I, I love all of that stuff. I, I love various means and ways of, of communication. I, I like the fact that people are studying and being smart about the way that they strategize and go after the world and the harvest. But let me say this to you. Principalities and powers rule our cities. And we've got to have some people right now with some dog in them. We've got to have some people right now that are really bringing the wood people that are really coming in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. People that are known by God and are also known by Lucifer and all of his minions. We have got to at this point of time and of history make a turn and begin to cling to the old rugged cross an empty tomb and a glorious upper room understanding that we initially were given all that we were going to need to possess our inheritance it's time I'm going to ask you to shut yourselves away with God just for a moment I believe one of the most important things that we do is exercise our boldness
to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to practice something tonight. As Dianza would say, we're going to rehearse it. I come home from practice in the afternoons, and because her background is in music, she'll say, how did rehearsal go, honey? Well, we're going to rehearse something right now. Practice it. When I give this signal, I want you to imagine yourself as a person who no longer will back down or be ashamed of Christ in any setting. Somebody who will do exactly what you've been asked to do, nothing more and nothing less. And when I give this signal, I want you to turn to the person beside you and I want you to ask them this question. Are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? And if that person says yes, that's great. Turn to the person on the other side. They'll ask you and you'll ask them, are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? But listen, in this setting, it'll be almost impossible to lie. Because if you say yes and the answer is really no, it's not going to feel good. It's, it's, it's not going to settle well with you. It's not going to come out well. And so what you need to do is just, just be honest in this moment. And if that person says, no, my life isn't right with God, I am not sure that my life is right with God, then when I give you the signal, I want the one who asked the question and the one who answered the question, I want you both to step out in the aisle and I want you to come right here because we are going back to the fundamentals of what Jesus commanded us to do. And that is to be used by the Holy Spirit to preach this gospel everywhere, all the time, in power and authority. So when I give you the signal, I want you to turn to the person beside you and I want you to ask them, are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? Don't do it yet. And then... If that person says no, then I want the two of you, when I give you the signal, I want the two of you to come down to the front right here because this is what we're going to do. We're going to rehearse or practice a lifestyle, a dog lifestyle that is going to make us the devil's worst headache the moment that our eyes open every morning. We're going to do what God has asked us to do. Just a moment. I'm going to give you that signal. I want you to turn to the person beside you, and I want you to ask them. I don't care if it's your best friend, your wife, somebody you've known for 40 years, the best Christian you know on the earth. I want everybody to do it because we're rehearsing. We're practicing. We're getting ready to go across that Jordan and to make a difference in our communities. We're getting ready to stir it up. We're getting ready to do things that God has had on his heart for us to do for a long, long time, but he couldn't get our attention. This is going to be a life-changing experience right now. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name there will be young men and women especially that tonight will give their lives to you in a fresh new way and the world will never be the same. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you quietly and reverently, everyone, quietly and reverently.
when I give you the signal, I want you to turn to the person beside you and ask them, are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? If that person says no, then I want the two of you to step into the aisle immediately. And I want you to come and stand right here with me. Right now, turn to them. Are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? Ask them, are you absolutely sure your life is right with God? Hallelujah. It's your time. Yes. 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 If that person says no, the two of you come. The one who asked and the one who answered, come to the front. Come on. God is doing a work here. It's exciting to see what God is doing. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Come. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, folks. We can do better than that. I heard you. I heard your war cry. Come on, give the Lord praise. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, amen. Jesus. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Praise God. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Praise God. I think there's a real dog in here. Everybody get closer to me, please. If you don't mind, get closer right up here where I can see you. I just want to be right here with you. Last night, I met a young man by the name of Ethan here. Where is he? Are you here? Where are you, my man? Right here. And uh, do you do you have that video? I want you to show. I want you to show the video uh, or the uh, the slide. This is today. That dude, that's much a man right there. I'm just going to tell you. He's something. I met him last night. So today, we got in the water, and I said, now, uh, when did you give your life to Jesus? He said, well, I've decided that I really started believing in the Lord when I was a child. I said, okay. I said, but this most recent thing that's happened to you, when did that happen? And this is what he said. He said, last night. I said, wait, wait, wait. You mean last night you made a commitment to Christ? He said, oh, yeah. And he said, I'm shipping out. He said, so I got to get baptized. And so he got baptized today. Here's what you've got to understand. Please hear me. Please hear me. Those of you that have come forward who you know your life is not right with God, I just want to say one thing from the heart of the Father to you. And this is exactly what he's saying. I can prove it to you from Scripture. No matter where you've been, no matter how badly you think you've messed up or missed it, this is what he is saying. I can prove it to you in the Scripture. This is what he's saying. The Father is saying, Welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. 
I want you to lift your hands all over this place like this. Look, 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 look. Don't, don't get freaked out about lifting them. I mean, that could, you know, get some of you nervous. What I like to do sometimes is just kind of just turn them over like that. Just like somebody's giving me a gift. So just turn your hands over like somebody's giving you a gift if you're not comfortable lifting them. And I want everyone here to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I know you're the Son of God. In my heart, I know. And I certainly wouldn't be standing here if I didn't believe that. I want you to know that I believe it with all my heart. So tonight, I give you all of my life. I ask that you forgive me for my sins. You know what I've done. And I certainly know what I've done. I can't even keep up with them. Too many of them. So I'm just confessing them all to you. And I'm sorry. And, and I know that I don't have the power in myself to change. That's why I've come here tonight. i got to have your power to change my life and to turn me around. I love you, God. And I thank you for arranging this moment for me because I'm convinced that's what you've done. You arranged this moment for me. If I am ever asked, when did you surrender to Christ? I will be able to say, at this camp where this football coach preached that's where it happened for me you will always have my loyalty Jesus I I will never ever be ashamed of you I will always be proud to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise right now.